Good morning, everyone. Good to have you all here. Good to be back at Bible study. Um, just a few housekeeping things before we kick off this morning. Um, first of all, if you are new to Bible study, welcome. Um, you might be seeing the video camera and wondering why um, we record. Well, we actually have two groups who access the materials um, online later. We have a Zoom group who will be watching, so you might hear me like reference them throughout this. Um, we also have a group on the Moon campus who is using our material as well. And so they'll be watching the video together when they meet and going through the homework. So that's why we record in the morning session. Um, so you'll always see that camera up and running. Um, you guys are not in it, but we do get to hear your laughter and stuff when you are joining and participating. So that's always fun as well. Um, but my name is Jenna Hannum. If I have not met you, I'm the director of women's ministry, and I'm really excited to dive back into Bible study um, it's always a nice change to my routine to have this back in, the accountability of being with you guys and being in God's word and just having a steady purpose is so good for my walk with the Lord, and I hope the same will be true for you as well. Um, so just a few things. We're gathering in person here first every single morning. Um, you guys will have the live teaching portion first before you go and do your homework. Um, for the Zoom people, they're going to be listening to this before they go to their live teaching, um, which happens on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Um, and just a few things. When we gather here for the live teaching, the assumption that I am making is that you have already spent time in the text, that you've done your homework um, to the best of your ability, that you have read the material. Um, and the reason why I say that is we get kind of used to our Sunday morning routine where we come on Sunday morning, we are not familiar with the text, we haven't spent time reading it or studying it, and we come in and the pastor preaches, and then we go home, and that's kind of it. And and there's nothing wrong with the sermon format. There's nothing wrong with that. But here in Bible study, um, we format things a little different. We want to make sure that you are coming with firsthand knowledge of the text. Um, and the reason why is I want you to develop thinking skills around this. I want you to have opinions about what you believe the text says. Um, I'm okay if that even means that when I am doing the live teaching, if there's aspects of this that you disagree with, like that's a good thing. That means that you have spent time wrestling with the text yourself, um, that you have ideas about what the author was trying to communicate as well. So I want you to be able to listen with that firsthand knowledge. So your homework time and your individual study throughout the week is really such an important part of the Bible study. You are going to do daily homework um, through your Jen Wilkin book, so you should have received that when you came in. If you didn't, um, Chris, can you give a little wave? See Chris back there? Chris will get you a little book. So just in case anyone did not get that, okay, it looks like we are good. That is going to contain your daily homework for the week, and Chris is going to help you um, with that today as she goes through the homework um, and kind of shows you what does the book look like, how is it formatted. Um, it is set up into five days of homework, but that doesn't necessarily work for everybody. Some people complete it like in one sitting. Some people do it in chunks. Some people spread it over seven days. So however, 
whatever works for you. Um, but you will spend time today looking at that. So after we are done um, with a live teaching format every single day, that's when you guys move to your small group time. Um, here in the morning, it is one group, and you guys will kind of move and spend time together. Um, you'll spend time going over the homework first, because like I said, that is the biggest emphasis that we make in Bible study, is not this time here in live teaching, but the time you have spent studying the Word. And so you'll go through the homework, and you'll talk about questions that you have or, or things that it raised in you. Maybe you have other thoughts that popped up as you studied. Then you'll talk a little bit about things that you agreed with or disagreed in the live teaching, maybe further questions that you still have around the text, and you'll wrestle with that together. And then finally, in the small group time, you'll do some prayer. Um, and Chris will kind of explain a little bit today of what prayer looks like for you guys. I also wanted to highlight, um, before we move on, um, the semester calendar that you received. Um, that calendar is going to show you the days that we're meeting. Um, we meet every single week. It'll be for 11 weeks. Uh, maybe you notice that it is a 10-week study. The reason why we do 11 weeks is we take a break halfway through, um, not just to not meet, but we call it a fellowship week. And it's just a time to kind of relax with each other, enjoy each other, have fellowship with one another. And so you'll learn more about what's going to happen on that fellowship week as we get closer to it. Um, but just know that's not a week off. It's just a break from study. Um, that's also a good opportunity if you find that you have kind of gotten behind in the past five weeks. You can use that week as kind of a catch-up week to get yourself back on track. And so we always find that that's a nice time halfway through to kind of reset and make sure we're ready to go. So that is your semester calendar. You can see we will end the week after Easter is our last day of the study. All right, so what I want to kind of talk about today, um, and again, you might be wondering like why we're here because you haven't had any homework yet, um, but we're going to talk a little bit about why we do Bible study, um, our format and, and the way that we study because it is a little bit unique and different, the way that we study the Bible here at Pathway, um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John um, as well. So as we talk about individual study, I think the first thing that we need to talk about and answer is why we study the Bible. Like, why is that important to do as an individual believer? And I think a great reason why can be found in Matthew 22, 37. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And I think as women especially, we can be really, really good at loving God with our hearts um, and even with our souls. We can feel very passionate about God and feel all of those emotions, but sometimes we neglect the mind. Um, but what I want to challenge you, um, Jen Wilkin actually has a quote. She says, the heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. And I have found that to be so true as I have studied the Bible, that the more I know about God, the more deeply I love him. And it's not just gaining knowledge for intellect or for pride. That's not what we're about, right? We're not just trying to get knowledge to have it or to say that we are, we are smarter about something. But it is to be able to fall more deeply in love with the God we serve, to know him more fully. That is ultimately our goal. And so as we study, we want to make sure that that question is kind of always in the back of our mind is, is what does this teach me about who God is? Um, that's going to take us to really our primary purpose and our, our quest as we study is that question that we want to ask. Because we tend to naturally come to the Bible 
and open it and ask a particular question. And maybe I'll just say, make it personal. I tend to do this. Maybe you do as well. I open the Bible and I tend to think, what does this have to say about me? I have a problem in my life. I have something I'm struggling and I just want the Bible to give me an answer about that. And when that becomes our primary approach to the Bible, we can tend to get frustrated because it doesn't always answer our specific questions. There are still things we're going to struggle with even when we spend time in God's word every day. We will still have questions of why. And we see that even in scripture. You open the Psalms and over and over again, we see that lament of why, Lord? And so when we study the Bible... My, my, my encouragement to you would be instead ask the question of what does this passage or what does this section of scripture have to tell me about who God is? That really is our primary focus, and that's what the Bible is about. The Bible is not a book about us. It's a Bible about who God is and his love for his people. Now, that doesn't mean to say that the Bible cannot be instructive for our lives, because it absolutely can. That doesn't mean that the Bible shouldn't sometimes speak directly into our life situations, because it absolutely does. But we first have to look through the lens of who God is. And so I kind of want to take you through a little bit how our homework questions are going to be structured, because I think it'll help you a little bit to understand this. As you go through your homework, you're going to notice that there's three levels of questions, okay? The first level of questioning is observation. So just very, very simply, it's going to ask you questions like, what does it say? Just at, at face value, what does the text say? And so you're just going to be observing things. You might be actually like counting, like how many times does it say darkness? How many times does, te does the text say light? So you're going to be just answering basic observation questions about the text. Then the questions will move you to interpretation. And it's going to ask you questions about what does it mean? Okay? And we have to be careful with that question because when it's being asked, the question is asking us, what did it mean to the original audience? So when John was writing this book, what was he trying to communicate to the churches to whom he was writing? So what does it mean? And then we get to the application. Okay? And this is the step that we sometimes just want to jump to when we dig into the Bible. We just want to open the Bible and say, okay, Lord, what does this mean for me today? So the application step, you're going to notice that there's kind of a series of questions that you'll have to ask, uh, answer. First of all, applications will ask, the application questions are going to ask you, what does this passage tell me about God and his character? There will be a question every single week. Some of you will love it. Some of you will hate it. That will ask the question, after this week's of study, what character of God did you most see? Okay, that question will be every single week at the end of your study, and it will ask you, and there's actually a whole list of attributes of God in the back of your study Bible or the back of your, um, your homework. Secondly, there will be questions that ask you, now that I see this characteristic of God, now that I have learned this about who God is, how does this change the way I view myself? Okay, so we get the personal part of it, but it's in light of who God is. We're not just jumping straight to it. And then finally, what should I do in response? So we do get the personal application. We are looking for life change, but it's only first when we consider what the, the, what the passage has to say about who God is. Some other things that you're going to see as you study. 
is that it's going to have you read in context. So you are going to be reading all the way through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John over the next 10 weeks. Um, we will mainly do line-by-line -line teaching. And so we're going to keep everything in context. We're not just going to pull particular verses out. It's also going to have you read repetitively. Don't skip this step. Read it over and over again. You might get annoyed when you dig into your homework and you go to week one and it has you read, you know, an entire passage for the week. And then you go to day two and it has you reread that passage again. And then on day three, she has you reread a smaller section. That repetitive reading is there for a reason. We want to gain familiarity with the text. And the more that we read it, the more things will start to jump out to you. So we will be reading repetitively. You are also going to want to have on you a pack of colored pencils, markers, Sharpies, something like that. Um, you will notice starting with day one, she's going to have you underline things in different colors, circle things. You have a full copy of the text in the back of your workbook. So all first, second, and third John is in there. So if you're like, I really don't want to mark up my personal Bible, which I get. I'm like that. I don't like to make a ton of marks in my Bible. That will help you. You can use your copy in the back of the workbook, and you can make your color marks back there. Um, but you're going to want some sort of colored pencils. If you need some, find me. I'm also the children's director. I can hook you up in children's ministry, so I can get you some colored pencils if you need them. Um, some other things that you're going to find that you want, again, that printed copy of your text is on page 176. You're going to need a dictionary. We're going to be looking up words. Your phone will look great, work great if you just want to Google it and look up words. But know that you're often going to be asked to look up the meaning of words in the dictionary. Some things to avoid. Um, I always ask that you don't use commentaries, okay, while you're studying. So in that initial stage, the week leading up to our live teaching, when you're doing your day-to-day -day study and you're getting ready to come here, don't use commentaries, okay? Because commentaries are going to give you one author's perspective on the text, right? And so what happens then is you read that commentary and then your whole view is shifted because now that person's view is going to shape the way you interpret it. What we really want to do is have you perform your own personal feelings around this text and come with your views because that's way more powerful. Then if you want to go home after the live teaching and after you've had small group, if you want to go back because you're still struggling with a particular passage or maybe I taught on something and you're like, that just doesn't seem to align with how I thought about the subject, then go home and look at commentaries. Please do that. That would be wonderful because then you've already had firsthand knowledge of the text and you're much more likely to read a commentary and be able to either accept or reject that information and kind of struggle with it on your own. I would also include study Bibles in that. If you have a study Bible, either use a different Bible when you come and do your, when you go and do your homework, or, you know, train yourself to, like, kind of cover up the bottom if you have that self-will. I do not. So I don't use a study Bible when I am beginning my study. Um, the live teaching time, like this time, you can consider that a commentary, right? This is my opinion, and it's actually gleaning from multiple commentaries when I come to you. And so just know that when you come here, again, that's why I want you to have firsthand knowledge of the text and not just use this as your source of information because I want you to come knowing the information for yourself. 
I would also say that um, Bible translations like the message, those, those types of translations would be considered commentaries as well. They're super useful. They are wonderful to use to help us understand the meaning, but wait to use those translations until afterwards. Some tips that I would give you as you are studying and trying to figure out the meaning of stuff, if you are reading and rereading repetitively and there's just a passage that you're trying to make meaning of and you're just not sure, I would do a couple things. First of all, look words up in the dictionary. Don't, don't tire of doing that. Look up words. Make sure you understand the meaning of it. Secondly, switch translations. If you are reading in the ESV or the NIV, Switch to another translation. Try the CSB. Try the new, the new Living Translation. Try the King James Version. Just switch it up and try different things. You can do that so easily on your phone just by changing the translation that you are looking at. And sometimes just looking at it in another translation really helps to trigger something in your brain. The other thing you can do is look at cross-references. Those are those little subscripts in your Bible. And so if you're reading and you see a, uh, um, like one of those little subscripts, you can look at it down at the bottom, and it will tell you other passages in the Bible that deal with the same information. We know that Scripture confirms Scripture. So if you're struggling with one passage, look to where else in the Bible it speaks about the same topic, and that might help you gain understanding. So those are just some guidelines for helping you as you study and learn. Um, and I would love to just kind of jump in now and talk a little bit about 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John um, and what we're going to be doing this year. Um, for those of you who came off of Exodus and you've been with us um, for the past year, you're going to be so excited. This is so much shorter <laughs> than what we just came off of. Um, we spent a year in the book of Exodus, and so we're going to be able to cover all of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. John in 10 weeks. In fact, we're going to find um, that we will be spending eight weeks in 1 John and then one week in each of the other two books. This is a much shorter and more condensed part of scripture, um, which means we're going to be able to take a deeper dive into it as well. In fact, 2 John is the shortest book in the Bible in terms of number of verses, and 3 John is the shortest in terms of words. And so I'm excited to be able to spend time in these passages together and really just take a look at what they mean to us as believers today. So what we're going to do is I'm going to have you turn to pages 14 and 15 in your workbook. And you're going to see that as you do so, there's a little thing at the top that says, you got mail. And I love that title for this section because we are going to find, spoiler alert, this is going to be one of your questions, but we're going to find that this is a letter. And so when you get a letter, my guess, even if it's an email, because many of us don't get snail mail anymore, but when you get an email or you get a letter in the mail, there's something that you do before you ever look at the contents of the letter you look at who it came from, right? Sometimes you might look at the timestamp, like when was it sent? How long has it been sitting in my inbox? You look at some basic information that tells you information about that letter before you ever open it and read the contents. And so that's really what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at some questions that are going to help us to understand some basic information about this letter before we ever dive into it. So the very first question that you have is the question of who. Who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John? 
This is not a trick question. It is John. <laughs> the answer is very simple for you. However, there is a little bit of controversy over what John. And in fact, as you read, you'll find that the author never says, you know, this is written from John. He doesn't use that as we sometimes have in other books of the Bible. So he doesn't identify himself. However, the language between 1 John in particular and the Gospel of John is so close that most commentators and most historians would agree that the author of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is the same of that as the Gospel of John. So the question is, which John is that? Because if you've read the Bible, you know there are multiple Johns. Well, this is John, the son of Zebedee. He was the brother of James, and he was one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. So James, the son of Zebedee, brother of James, one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. He, in fact, referred to himself as a disciple that Jesus loved. You might remember that language, and sometimes we call him the beloved disciple. I love that, that that's how he sees himself. He writes as an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. He walked with him. And that's going to be very, very apparent to us as we read the first five verses of 1 John. We're going to see that John is going to remind us that he walked with Jesus. John was a fisherman by trade. And he was also, before he was a disciple of Jesus, he was a disciple of John the Baptist. His brother, James, who was also a disciple, was the first disciple to be martyred. And so as, James, as John writes this and encourages believers to follow in the faith, he writes this knowing the cost that that can have. John was also the author of other books in the Bible. We already mentioned the Gospel of John, but he is also the author of the book of Revelation. So this is our author. The second question that you have asks us, to whom was it written? Well, when we think of this question, we actually have to look at each individual book here because each of them was written a little bit differently. When we look at the book of 1 John, we can tell that John probably wrote these letters when he was living in Ephesus. That's where John lived for a long time before he was ex exiled to Patmos where he wrote Revelation. So we believe that he was writing this in Ephesus, and it was a letter to the Gentiles who were living in Western Asia. These were probably churches that John helped to plant and was overseeing, but it was a circular letter. So it wasn't a letter that was written to a particular church. It was a letter that was written with the purpose of somebody taking that letter, going from church to church, and reading it aloud. And so most likely this letter would have been read to entire church congregations. Okay, And so sometimes we call these Catholic epistles. Okay, universal epistles, meaning they weren't addressed to a particular audience. Other Catholic epistles would be James, 1st and 2nd Peter, and Jude. Okay? John uses the phrase a lot in this letter of my children, sometimes my little children. And so we get this idea that, I'm sorry, John uses that phrase. We get the idea that John is writing from like an elderly, fatherly perspective. 
okay? He sees himself as a person of authority over these churches. For the book of 2 John, we can tell as we read that it was written to a particular congregation. Some people actually think that 2 John was written as a cover letter to 1 John for a particular church, and it was read aloud first, and then 1 John was read. And then 3 John was written to an individual person. And so we'll see as we read these three letters that they do have a little bit of a distinct style because of who they were addressed to. For the question of when it was written, it was probably written between 85 and 90 AD. And so just to help you with that, um, if you're thinking of the biblical timeline, this was after the temple was destroyed and it was before John was exiled to Patmos. So just a few other details. We have Jesus who died in AD 30, okay? The temple destroyed in AD 70. And then we have the writing of this book. John writes Revelation in AD 95, and he dies in Ephesus sometime around AD 100. So that helps us a little bit with understanding the timeline of John's life and when he sat down to write this. Now, this might seem like a really long time after the death of Jesus to be writing these letters because we have Jesus in AD 30, and then this isn't written until AD 85. But actually, most of the letters and gospels were not written until after AD 65 because the disciples were around. They were busy starting the churches up, and they were, they were shepherding people one-on-one, -on -one. and it wasn't until AD 65, and the disciples were beginning to be martyred, that they realized that these words needed to be recorded for the future of the church. And so AD 65 is around when we start to get our first writings written down. And so as they wrote, as the disciples wrote, they had really two primary purposes. One, to make sure that believers knew, what do we believe? Like to make sure that it was put in words. What are the things that we actually believe? And secondly, what does it mean to be the church? What does it look like to be the church? And John is certainly going to have these questions on the forefront of his mind as he writes. In fact, as John writes, he is one of the last disciples. And so he knows that the leadership is dying out. And it is very, very important to be raising up the next generation of church leaders. In what style is it written? We've kind of already given you a spoiler alert for this. This is a letter, um, and the, le the styles vary a little bit because 1 John, with it being a circular letter, has the style of being more like a homily or an exhortation to the church. 2 John was written just to a big group, and 3 John to an individual. So the styles vary just a little bit, but they are all three letters. As John writes, he's writing, wanting to give assurance to the churches. He wants to remind them of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we're going to see that John's style as he writes here is very, very similar to how he wrote the Gospel of John. And he's also, if you've read um, John, you know that he does not make linear arguments. He's not like Paul. If you studied Romans with us here at Pathway, you can see when you read Paul that there are linear arguments straight through the book of Romans that Paul continues to pick off and build off of. 
John does not write like that. John is going to do things like he's going to compare and contrast two different ideas, like light and darkness. And so John is going to use these themes of comparison and contrasting to help his believers understand his point. So let's look a little bit at the central themes that we have throughout this book. There are several. I was so thankful to her for putting an S at the end of theme this time because often it just says central theme. And I think, like, how can you pick one? So that was wonderful to see. Um, John uses a lot. He has a lot of themes going through. Like I said, he's going to use contrasting images to help us understand points. Um, and he's going to compare two ways of living, living life in the light and living life in in the darkness. And he wants to affirm believers that those who are living in the light should continue to do so. So we're going to see themes of light and darkness throughout this book. We'll see themes of sin and righteousness being compared and contrasted. John's going to talk a lot about what does it look like to live an ethical life and how love is a primary marker of a disciple of Jesus. He's also going to remind believers of the purity of the gospel, and he's going to give them assurance in their faith. And he's also going to focus on the historicity of Christ. And all of these things that he focuses on, he does so because the culture around them are challenging these beliefs. There are false teachers who are popping up in the church. And so John writes wanting to address these false beliefs and remind believers of what is true. One of the false teachings that John addresses is the false teaching of Gnosticism. And he does this very, very subtly. It's not like he comes out and he says, hey, there's Gnostics among you, and I want to tell you why they're wrong. He doesn't come out and say it, but you can see it all throughout what he writes because he wants to make it very, very clear what Christians should believe. And so I want to highlight a few of the ways that he is battling this type of thinking. So believers of Gnosticism believed that they could know God more fully, that he could actually like impart special knowledge on them if they communed with God in particular ways. So John is actually going to challenge this line of thinking by telling his listeners over and over again things that they can know about God. He's going to give them specific truths that every believer can know and remind them that they don't need special knowledge. And we're actually going to spend time every single week underlining and highlighting things that John talks about that he it tells the believers he can know to be sure and true about God. And so we will spend time underlining those truths as we go. The Gnostics also emphasized individuality. Okay, if you spend time by yourself with God, he will impart special knowledge on you. And John is going to counter that by reminding his believers about the importance of believing in community. Gnostics believed in the spiritual world over the matter, so much so that they believed that the body was evil 
and that what you did in the body really didn't matter or have an impact on anything else because the body was evil to begin with. And so John will spend time reminding believers that the body is good and that what we do in our body matters, that our physical life does matter. He's going to emphasize the importance of ethical living. Gnostics were also very anti-Jewish, and so they disregarded the Old Testament entirely. For them, their belief in God started with the New Testament, and John is going to argue against this, and he's going to do this by using this phrase. He will say, that which is from the beginning, that which is from the beginning, and it will be a reminder to listeners that God is unchanging, that the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New. He is eternal, and he is unchanging. Lastly, the Gnostics emphasized an idea called dualism, and that meant that there were forces in the environment that were at odds with each other and were competing, like light and darkness, and that these forces were equal. Now, John is going to combat that by using the theme of light and darkness and that there is a war going on between them, but John is going to make it very, very clear that the forces are not equal, that light will win. And so that is how we can see John kind of enter into the current cultural context of the day as he writes. And I think it's so important for us to know that because as we read, we have to first make sure we understand the culture in which it was being written before we try to apply it to our lives now. I am really, really excited to dig into this book of the Bible together. I think we're going to grow in our faith as we read. Um, and I truly believe that God's word does not return void. We talk about this a lot in Bible study because there can be times where maybe you sit down to read the Bible and you walk away and think, well, I barely understood two words of that. I feel frustrated and it feels like it was a waste of time. Has anyone ever felt like that? You can nod your heads if you have. I see some. I certainly have. And that can feel frustrating of feeling like, was my time well spent? Um, I just want to read to you. This is a passage in Isaiah. Um, it comes from Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. Um, you probably have heard parts of this passage before, um, but I want to pull out a few parts of it and just kind of go through it together. Um, I am reading from the NIV. This is Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. I love this passage, and it has just struck me in new ways recently. I love that it starts off with this reminder that my thoughts are not my, your thoughts. And so as we study God's word, we are guaranteed to have moments of tension. We are guaranteed to have moments where we think, I don't quite understand this. His thoughts and his ways are higher than our than our than his ways are higher than ours. But then he gives this promise. I'm going to read this again. He says, "As the rain and snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth 
and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So it is with my word that goes out from my mouth. And so God is using this illustration. He's comparing his word to rain and snow. And he reminds us that, hey, when it rains and snows, that water doesn't return back up to heaven without doing something, right? It waters the ground. It, it allows things to bud and flourish. But what I would encourage you with is we don't always see instant results from rain and snow. Look out the window right now. I don't see flowers blooming. I don't see a ton of life happening. But there is a purpose to that rain and snow. And we will see the results of that in springtime, won't we? God says here that his word is the same way. It does not return to him empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. As we read and study the Bible, we are making deposits into our soul. We might not always see instant results. We might not always walk away with changed hearts and changed attitudes. We might not always walk away fully understanding what we read, but we can trust God's word that what we read and what we study is doing a work in us. That just like in the springtime, there are flowers that bud and blooms that happen, we can trust that there will be fruit in our lives from our study of God's word. It will achieve what God has purposed. So I just encourage you maybe to write down that verse. It's again, it's Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. And if there are moments in your time of study where you're starting to feel frustrated or you're starting to feel like, I'm not sure that this is worth it or this is really hard to fit into my schedule, I encourage you to read that over and remind yourself of the deposit that you are making in your life because it is worth it. I'm going to go ahead and close us in prayer. And I'm going to send you down to your small group time. So if you'd bow your heads. Father, Lord, we certainly thank you for your word. Um, Lord, I thank you for this reminder um, from the book of Isaiah that reminds us of the power of your word, that it does not um, ever not achieve that which you have for it. And so, Lord, we know that you have a purpose for us in this study, that there are things that we're going to learn and take away. And sometimes, Lord, we might not see those immediate results, but we trust, Lord, that you are doing a work in our hearts that you are changing our souls, and that we will be changed as a result of our time spent in your word. Lord, I thank you for each of these ladies, and I just pray, Lord, protection over them for this semester. I pray, Lord, that you would yield off sickness, sick children, bad weather, that we would be able to continually gather together to meet. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the discipline to be persistent in our study that we would be able to make time every day to spend time with you. And Lord, we trust that there would be fruit because of it. I pray your blessing over this group, that their time spent together studying and laughing together and exploring the things that they are learning would bring just a joy because of the fellowship that they have. I pray, Lord, that they would learn from each other, that they would grow from each other, and that the conversations that they have would bring glory to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.